But now we get into the final story of today, which is a U.S. soldier crossing the DMZ into North Korea. A very strange and interesting story. We have Private Travis King, who has been captured by North Korean authorities after he made his way across the DMZ. Apparently, he he made a he made a break for it. And I, uh, I'll admit that I almost wrote down that his name was James Joseph Dresnok, who was another U.S. soldier who defected to North Korea, uh, except uh, Dresnok defected to North Korea in 1962. So that would have been quite the F up on my end. But interestingly enough, he was also a private. Uh, so that's a little, little fun fact there. But as of right now, we have not yet been updated on Travis King, his condition, or even if he's still alive. We assume he's still alive as the UN claims to be in talks with the North about Travis's defection and potentially returning him home. So, uh, well, and as well, the Biden administration has not made any formal uh, formal overtures to the North to try to get him back. Or at the very least, if they have made these overtures, they have not been public. So, um, we have another prisoner of war, technically. Uh, I say technically because the war between the North and the South never really ended. And with that, the war between us and North Korea never really ended. Uh, yet another loose end, just flapping in the wind. But when I first read this, I was honestly more confused than anything else, and I'm still a little confused. One, why would you want to go to North Korea when you probably if you're going to defect you probably could have defected and stayed in the south i'm just saying uh well you know maybe he's down with that communism maybe he's down with a largely agrarian lifestyle you know maybe maybe he feels that he'll just blend in you know or that they'll or that the prison food in north korea tastes better than scrap that he gets in the the lunch yards and the barracks Whatever the case may be, we don't know the reason why he did this either. So this entire thing still remains a bit of a mystery here. Uh, so, yeah, why would you want to go to North Korea was the first question on my mind. And two, how did he get past the minefields like and the barbed wire fences and the bullets? <laughs> how did you get past the people shooting at you to get... Uh, like, he got through the DMZ intact enough to where he needed to be captured rather than buried because you have all these stories of people trying to leave north korea and a lot of them die in the process because they get either get shot or they step on a mine or they get caught in the barbed wire and then they get captured and sent back and then their entire their entire bloodline essentially gets purged from the annals of north korean history and so to see the the reverse go down and this guy just makes it through he had to have been studying those minefields and those guard posts so studiously. It's in my, it, had, it had to have been insane. It, it like you you don't just walk across the DMZ unless you're Trump, in which case you can you can do that four times in one day. But he was in active talks with Kim Jong Un when he was doing this. They walked across the the border check, the border you know the station where you're supposed to be doing these things. I mean, the border station is divided into two in the same room you can be in the same room but there's a line and you're not allowed to cross the border between the north and the south like that's the the level of division here 
and this guy just crosses the DMZ, and you know, I'm again, again, why would he want to go? How did he get past the bullets, the barbed wire, and the minefields? Um, what was his motivation? Uh, these are lots of unanswered questions. They remain unanswered as of now. Maybe we'll get some answers later on. But it's a very uh, weird story. So, considering that a lot of the important questions regarding this remain unanswered, I will instead talk a little bit about some of the potential implications of this defection rather than the defection itself. These implications being that yet another flashpoint is being prepared for future conflict. Because if I'm being honest with you, a part of me doesn't believe he did this of his own volition. A part of me believes that this is a stunt being pulled by our government to get us into another war. That That's a part of me. Now, maybe he was genuine. Maybe he did want to go to North Korea for reasons that are just not articulated to me. And it's not like they need to be articulated to me. I ain't that important. But a part of me feels that this is orchestrated. And now, especially given all the mystery surrounding it and the lack of detailed information and the lack of curiosity to find out that information as well, it seems to me like yet another flashpoint is being prepared for future conflict. And... Part of the reason that I say this is not just me having a habitual distrust of my own government at this point. It's the fact that as the war in Ukraine looks like it's about to enter its final stages where we're going to see the fireworks go off and the Ukrainians are going to evaporate before the Russian backbreaker offensive. As that war looks like it's about to enter the final stages, we here in America... I believe, need to be on guard for the bait-and-switch. We, we have to be ready for the bait-and-switch. Just like how just like how Ukraine was used to take your attention away from the 20-year-long failure in Afghanistan, I believe that this war might potentially, either, either this or the Taiwan War, is going to be used as the bait-and-switch to take your attention away from Ukraine. Just like how Ukraine was used to take your attention away from the the trillions of dollars we spent in the Middle East, the, the hundreds of billions we spent in Afghanistan, the hundreds of billions of dollars worth of military equipment we left in Afghanistan from the armored trucks, the planes, the, the rifles, the bullets, the, the tank rounds, the artillery shells, the anti-tank rounds, the, the javelins. The, the, the javelins and the stingers, the, you know, the, those same weapons that we were hailing as the greatest thing since sliced cheese when the war in Ukraine first began. Yeah, all those weapons that we left behind for the Taliban. Yeah. um, And the helicopters. How can we forget the helicopters? Just like how Ukraine was used as a bait and switch so that we didn't we were we weren't left to think about what was going on. All the failures that we had in, in Afghanistan, we weren't left alone long enough to really think about that. Because uh, we have the Ukraine war to think about. Just like how Ukraine was used as a distraction from that, and we were inundated with Ukraine this, Ukraine that for a year and a half, I would not be surprised if some future conflict, be it, be it in Korea, 
be it in the Middle East, with especially with all the tensions flaring up in Palestine between Israel and Palestine, uh, and the fact that the Arab world is increasingly able to put more focus on the conflict in Palestine and are now demanding resolution to it. You have Israel, and then there's, of course, Taiwan waiting in the wings. I think we need to be ready for the bait and switch. We need to be ready for our government to put the bright and shiny thing up in front of our face. It's going to be placed in front of us to distract us from the abject failure in Ukraine, which in some ways is even more is even worse than the failure in Afghanistan. Because in Afghanistan, it was equipment we left behind, right? It was trillions of dollars, sure, but it was over the course of 20 years. The embarrassment was the way in which we left, not not that we left, not that we, we lost is some grand spectacular battle. It was the way in which we pulled out and where we left behind thousands of American citizens. And then 13 Marines died. And you had Afghanis falling off the plane as it launched because there was no security to keep them off the tarmac. Because they decided that they were going to launch the evacuation from Kabul International Airport where all the people go instead of from Bagram Air Base, the secluded location with a very, very large airstrip that you could have conducted that evacuation from. Just like Ukraine was the distraction from that, uh, this new conflict, whatever it may be, is going to be the distraction from Ukraine, which, again, Ukraine in some ways was worse, is going to be worse of a defeat than Afghanistan. Because Afghanistan was 20 years. Afghanistan was us fighting bandits in a desert. Afghanistan... Uh, the, the humiliation was in the way that we left and all the equipment we left behind. With Ukraine, it is going to be the symbol of how we would have fared in a direct war with Russia. The destruction of the Ukrainian army will be essentially a giant metaphor for how NATO as a whole would have done against Russia. How the United States would have done against Russia on land. Because a, a point that was brought up by, I, I believe, I believe it was, uh, who was it? It was, it wasn't Alexander the Duran. I forget if it was um, Scott Ritter or Doug McGregor. They brought up uh, a very interesting f fact, which has been true the entire time, but, you know, just, it sort of hit me now, that the Ukrainians being trained by NATO this entire time means that all the tactics or the vast majority of the tactics that they're using on the battlefield to try to fight the Russians are NATO tactics. These are they're fighting with American weapons and using American tactics. They're being led by American slash NATO generals who are in, or, or commanders who are, you know, operating on their own accord. They're not official in any way possible. You know, they're being led by and, and guided by NATO and American commanders they're being belt-fed American weapons and ammunition. And let's not forget that they're getting real-time intelligence assistance from American intelligence agencies. In all, For all intents and purposes, this is an American army, which is being slaughtered by the Russians. So when Ukraine loses, after we've given them everything we have to give, it will serve as a giant metaphor for how the United States would have done against Russia. We would have lost. All of NATO would have lost. 
So in some ways, the fall of Ukraine will be even more of a humiliation and an embarrassment and a blow to this to our prestige and our grandeur than the fall of Afghanistan was. The fall of Kiev, the surrender of Kiev will be more impactful than the capture of Kabul by the Taliban. And I don't think our government is mature enough to take that L lying down. I don't think that I honestly don't. I think that they'd rather start some new shit somewhere else to take our attention off of their failure. Another failure of theirs. Which leads us to where we are today with this soldier defecting North Korea. Now, perhaps he did it on his own accord and he'll just be used as a tool. His defection will be used as a tool to create conflict, which again, our government is not above doing. But we have to be on guard for the bait and switch. Taiwan is on deck. We already know that. Taiwan is on deck. Israel, Palestine, that's on deck. We have, and again, now we have the Koreas on deck. Especially once you add into not just this defection, but all the talk of those missile tests by the North, whether they're firing ballistic missiles, and they were trying to, they have, they're firing hypersonic missile tests, which again, if the, if that report is true, that the North Koreans have hypersonic missiles, my goodness, we fucked up. <laughs> we fucked up because we still don't have hypersonics. So if it's true that they do and we don't, that's crazy. And again, all the talk of these missiles combined and these missile tests as raising tensions in the region, uh, you can see the drums for war steadily being beaten. Not just with Ukraine and Russia, as you hear talk of potential direct involvement with troop, with NATO troops, well, not NATO, American troops, reservists being sent to Europe as part of Operation Atlantic Resolve, the talk of Poland getting involved in Western Ukraine, the talk, the, the tensions being built up between Israel and Palestine now boiling over again, but in a way that is catching the attention of the broader Arab world in a way that it's it hasn't done for decades now. And you add to that Taiwan, and you add to that this North Korea, you, we can see the writing on the wall. And it spells the infamous three-letter word that is war. Taiwan's on deck, Israel's on deck, Korea is on deck. So we have to be on guard. Our government is going to put us in another war, or at the very least, they're going to try to, before they take this L. But the problem in this particular case, with the United States provoking a war with North Korea, is that we're not going to end up with a war against North Korea. We're going to end up with a war against China. Because if you think China is just going to sit there and watch us invade North Korea, well, I'm sure they would feel mildly entertained watching us walk into the minefields. But if you think that the, the Chinese are just going to sit there while the American military alongside the South Korean military invade the North and they're not, and that they're going to do nothing about it. You all, I have a wonderful yacht 
in Libya. As a matter of fact, no. I have a wonderful yacht in Mali that I'd like to sell you. All right. It, yes, it's a landlocked country, but you know, you, you, you can get some good beachfront uh, frontage. You know, you can get some good beach frontage. Where? I can't tell you. I don't know. But, you know, I have a yacht. It's a yacht. And you um, just trust me. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I have a cruise liner in Mali that I'd like to sell you. If you'll have it. <laughs> it's China's not just going to stand there. They could. They could do with North Korea to us that we've done with Ukraine to Russia, which is that they could sit there and belt feed North Korea with all the weapons and ammunition that they would ever want or need and let the North Korean army humiliate us. At that point, just humble us. Nobody expected expects that the North Korean army is going to put up a, a solid fight against the American army. So the second you start getting double-digit thousands uh, casualty reports, it's a wrap that the prestige of the invincibility of the American military disappears. The second the North Koreans start sending us uh, casualty reports in the thousands in the double digits, like that's just not going to fly. Because uh, it's North Korea. They're supposed to be outdated. They're supposed to be uh, old. Uh, their, their military is supposed to be outdated using old equipment. They're using old tactics. They're supposed to be they're supposed to be unsophisticated. They're supposed to be a walk in the park. They're, the only danger to no, of the North Koreans is that they have lots of artillery and nukes. If they can fight us in a land war and score some dubs on us, well, that's uh, unacceptable. The Chinese could choose to do that. They could choose to take the Ukraine strategy and throw our own mess right back at us, except they have actual industry. The Chinese have industry, so they, they could really supply the North Koreans with a whole lot of artillery, shells. They, they could actually give, they could donate an Air Force to the North Koreans if they really wanted to. Will they? Who knows? They could do that, but honestly, it's more likely and they could do that right up until the point that we you know our troops are knocking at pyongyang in which case the chinese would intervene directly anyway just like they did in the first korean war but either way this goes whether the chinese come into the war immediately when the war between us and north korea begins or if they you know wait and let us grind it out in, in the korean peninsula and then commit themselves either way it goes we're not gonna win that war we're not going to only have a war with us in North Korea. It's going to be a war with us in China. And we're not going to win that war. All we will succeed in doing is wiping the South off the map. Because the Chinese will push us off the con off the islands. Well, yeah, off the continent. Uh, I, I meant to say the peninsula, but I, was, I said the continent. But, you know, either way it goes, we will be pushed off the continent. And depending on how the war at sea goes... Our troops might find themselves in a position where tens of thousands, where they might have to surrender by the tens of thousands. And at that point, it's it's checkmate. You don't come back from that. There's no coming back from that. We're not in a position where we can wage a total war. We're just not. We don't have the industry. Every asset that we lose, we can't replace. Our army has failed to meet its recruitment goals. Every branch of the army, whichever one you want, take your pick. We're not. We're not in a position to fight a total war. And if we're the ones who start the war, 
when we sure as hell aren't going to be uh, fighting a total war because there's going to be no support for it here in the United States. And that will be the backbreaker. That will be the moment that the American empire dies. Strategic defeat and humiliation either on the Korean Peninsula or over Taiwan. And quite honestly, if you get a war on Korean Peninsula, you might just end up with America escalating it into a war between China and Taiwan anyway. Or, or vice versa. A war between uh, us and China over Taiwan might escalate into a war on the, the Korean Peninsula. Either way, we're not going to win that war. It's we're in dangerous times and it's we have to be alert we have to be alert we know we know how our government operates we know that they like to do these things we know they like to play games with people's lives it's unfortunate that that's the case and at some point we're gonna need to get these motherfuckers out of office but for the time being we have to be honest about who we're dealing with and we are dealing with criminals we're dealing with warmongers who are bloodthirsty and we have to look out for ourselves because they will send us to war to fight these fights that we don't need to be fighting also they can avoid taking an l also they can avoid being having to sit in their the humiliation of their own policy blowing up in their face because even as this goes down, even as it becomes apparent that Russia is in fact winning in Ukraine, you have these people who just who still who they're, they're talking about how oh you have Kissinger talking about how we can potentially get the Chinese to mediate a peace in Ukraine, and the reason that some of them are reaching are accepting the idea of reaching out to China is because the last thing that they want to do is to have the Russians dictate the peace. Because they still cannot accept that Russia is a great power, not some third-rate, fourth-rate, fifth-rate uh, minor country who's a, a one-trick pony with gas. They just can't accept that they were wrong. And they would rather take us into a, a third-world war than to admit they were wrong. That's who our government is, unfortunately. So I honestly, going back to this soldier crossing into the DMZ, I don't... Part, a, a good part of me doesn't believe he did it on his own accord. Now, maybe he did. But whether he did or didn't, I do not trust the way in which my government will respond to this crisis. I think that it would use, be used as just another justification for war. A war to avoid letting us, you know, really sit and marinate in this fat L that we're about to take in Ukraine. Hopefully it doesn't come to that, but it's better to be safe than sorry. But that, my lovely listeners, is all I've got for you today. I do hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast on my geopolitical podcast. We have lots of changes, lots and lots of changes. The grain deal's dead. Poland might just be given territory in Ukraine, and the Russians might just accept that. And... In response to taking an L in Ukraine, the American government might start World War III. Who knows? <laughs> but regardless of what happens, we will have fun watching it together. Now, I've been your host, Sean Wade, and you've been listening to This Week in Geopolitics. So till we meet again next Monday, Servus.
This segment was taken from my podcast, This Week in Geopolitics. I have new episodes every Monday, so if you like what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Thanks for listening, and hopefully I'll see you next time. Servus.